It is great to be with you. I'm so glad that you're here with us. And we are finishing our series unto us this morning. We've explored the titles, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and today we will look at the title, Prince of Peace. Our scripture this morning is the same scripture we've been reading for four weeks. It's Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7. I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Once again, we are reading from the same scripture, and so what I've done is I've bolded some of the texts that I'd like to highlight to you for emphasis, and so we're going to focus in on those bolded scriptures in particular. But verses 6 to 7, let's read it together. We will never tire of hearing God's word, amen? It can be repeated over and over again. It continues to sink deeper and deeper into our heart and into our mind. May it happen this morning, even as we read. Let's read together in one voice. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you that you continue to teach us from the same portion of Scripture. Your word never grows old. It never gets tiring or boring. Lord, it is fresh living word for us. Sharpen us today. Make us understand the great dynamic of your peace. Lord, in this world that we live in full of chaos and turmoil, Lord, we need your peace to come. We need to experience it in a tangible way, in a way we've never experienced it before. In fact, many of us experienced a beautiful sense of peace when we accepted you as Savior. May we experience the same peace of mind today, right now, in the midst of our lives. There are many people who are anxious. There are many people who are worried and confused, distressed in their mind today. And I pray that the peace of God would come upon them in a special way that they would encounter your peace, that I may encounter your peace today, Jesus. And Lord, that the scripture would never grow old, but it'd be refreshed in our presence today with new meaning, with new application for our lives. We thank you that the word of God is timeless truth, Lord. That from the book of Isaiah, even to the reading of it now, it speaks to our hearts and our lives. And so, Father, give us and grant us your peace today. We need it today, Lord, to move forward in your will and in your plan. We trust you, Lord, now for your supply. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. You may be seated. One of the things that many people are in search of today is peace. And that is because we cannot create our own peace. I'd love to say that we can all create our own peace, but we cannot create our own peace. We understand that peace comes to us in and through the Prince of Peace. There's no other way that we can have peace today. It's through one person. However, we struggle to see this peace made manifest in our chaotic world. You see, with the threats of war, with political instability, even with this global pandemic, where is the shalom of God? We're searching for it today. 
Well, in the Bible, we read of how the people of God had experienced great peace and freedom from exile. They were given permission to return back to the rubble of Jerusalem and to rebuild the walls of that holy city. And this took place under godly men like Zerubbabel and Nehemiah and Ezra. Yet once again, I remind you that this period was followed by 400 years of silence from God. Imagine that, 400 years of silence. Some of us can't even go a day with just silence. I remember a time when I went on a retreat once uh, to spend some time with the Lord by myself, and that's, you know, great. I was in a monastery. It's a beautiful place. But let me tell you, in 24 hours, I was almost losing my mind. Because we don't like silence, we love being in community with other people. See, silence does not necessarily imply peace. God gives us peace. In fact, we realize that the absence of God is the absence of peace because God is the Prince of Peace. So this Christmas will be a Christmas unlike any others. I'm sorry to tell you that. It's going to be a unique Christmas. And I imagine that many of you are upset this year because there is no extended family gathering. You will have to experience Christmas with your immediate family this year or even alone by yourself. You are not yet at peace with that reality. But peace comes to us today. In the form of a person. There is a person who sticks closer to us than any brother. Jesus Christ is your peace. I want you to know that the Prince of Peace wants to come and fill your life. He wants to fill your home with peace this Christmas. See, Christmas is not about you and me. Christmas is not about gifts. It's not about meals. It's not about anything like that. It's about the presence of Jesus Christ where he ushers in his peace into our lives in a supernatural way that it changes the circumstance today. Amen? So this morning, I want to share three facts about Jesus and his peace that should radically change the way we approach this Christmas. The first point I want to share with you this morning is Jesus, born king of the Jews. Jesus, born king of the Jews. You see, after the birth of Jesus, we hear of Herod's jealousy at the news of a newborn king from the mouths of the Magi. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 2, Chronicles, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Look out tomorrow night. There's going to be two planets that are coming into conjunction with one another. It's going to be a great star, a great sight tomorrow in the evening. I hope that it's awesome, but it won't be as awesome as this star. See, King Herod, he also was known as King Herod the Great, and he was granted that name King of Judea by the Roman Senate. And he did not receive his power the same way that the former kings of Israel and Judah received their power. It is said that Herod was an Edomite by ethnicity, a convert to Judaism, and this makes him an illegitimate king. Jesus, on the other hand, did not become a king. The Magi were very clear when they said, Born king of the Jews. He is born king. Where exactly did Jesus' kingship come from? It came directly from the Father in heaven. He was the Son of God. He is the Son of God. And according to Revelation 19.16, when Jesus comes again, we will understand this principle very well. 
We will see on Jesus' robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This means that he is above comparison with all other kings and all other lords. All of this identity is wrapped up in an infant child. And the reason why Christmas is so profound is because Jesus was born already king. What a marvelous truth to hold on to today. Therefore, we must recognize who he is long before what he does. It's who he is, born king. Let's not blur Christmas and Easter together. I know there's four months until Easter, but these are distinct events. They are separated by 33 years. There is no Easter without Christmas. So here's the question of Christmas today. How would you respond to being in the presence of royalty? How would you personally respond to being in the presence of royalty. You see, many people flock to Buckingham Palace and Windsor Castle in England just to catch a glimpse of the British monarch, Queen Elizabeth II, and she is someone that you will never really know because she is protected from the public. But we alternatively can have a personal relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That is special. I understand that we are not eyewitnesses of the events that took place more than 2,000 years ago in Scripture, that we will never be able to travel time and to see the infant born in a manger for ourselves. But whenever you read God's Word, it comes alive to us. You see, His revelation in Scripture requires a response from us today. What will be your response? Reading the infancy narratives in the Gospels should cause us to bow in reverence in the presence of a king. I don't understand how people can hear the Christmas story over and over, year after year, to read the scripture year after year and not be moved by it. See, in Luke chapter 19, verses 37 to 40, we read of King Jesus and his triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem. Listen to this scripture. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. See, for the first time, people were recognizing Jesus for who he really was. He was king. And then they were recognizing what this king was bringing. This king was bringing supernatural peace into their lives and into their city. May our entry into Christmas this season be triumphant. Do not keep quiet. Do not stay silent this Christmas. Declare the kingship of God. Declare the kingship of Jesus this Christmas. Second point this morning is Jesus born the son of David. Jesus born the son of David. You see, Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 tells us that a son is to be born. One that is not the son of a prophet, Isaiah, but one that is born as a king. 
And some biblical commentators, thinking of the immediate context of that scripture, they started to think and wonder if this is King Josiah that is to come. Is it King Hezekiah that is to come? But this could only be King Jesus, the son of David, the true Messiah. Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 opens the New Testament with a strong statement from the very beginning that connected Jesus with the patriarchs of old and the royal family of David in the Old Testament. Listen to verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. If Jesus is the son of Abraham, then he is the recipient of the same promise that was given to Abraham, that he would be a father of all nations, and his descendants would be as numerous as the sand on the seashore, as numerous as the stars in the sky. And guess what? Christians are all over the world. If Jesus is the son of David, he is part of the Davidic promise of an everlasting dynasty. In Revelation 22, verse 16, the apostle John records Jesus' own words about himself. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. It's for us this morning. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. How do you know for sure that Jesus is the son of David? Well, Matthew went beyond the genealogy to use biblical numerology. He uses numbers with a special purpose and with a perfect plan. Matthew chapter 1 verse 17, we see, thus, making summary of the genealogy, thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, and then 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. 14, 14, and another 14. And Matthew confirmed that the numbers do add up to say that there's something special about this man named Jesus. You might recall the two separate occasions in Scripture when the blind man named Bartimaeus and the two other blind men call out to Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me find this in various scriptures, and they had heard of Jesus, but they had never seen Jesus. And even though they could not behold him with their natural eyes, their spiritual eyes were open to identify Jesus for who he really was. It is their faith in Jesus, the son of David, that would lead to their miraculous healing probably wondering today, what does Jesus being the son of David mean for us today? Is there any implication for us today? And the truth reinforces that the Jesus we celebrate at Christmas is not some fictional character. He is not like the story of Santa Claus. Can I say that here in a church today? He is the historical Jesus. He is the one who was born into time. He lived and dwelled among us, not us, but people before us. It confirms that Jesus is the fulfillment of messianic prophecy. It helps us discover that Jesus is the person who connects Old Testament hope with New Testament reality. 
See, under David, Israel and Judah were a unified nation. After Solomon, it was divided into two separate nations. But it is only Jesus who can unify that which was once divided and make it one again. It's the same story with our lives. Because of our sin, we've been divided. But because of Jesus, we are united with the Father. Third point today, Jesus, a king with a kingdom. Now that we have established the identity of Jesus' kingship, we must come to understand that every king has a way of governing his kingdom. Now, verse 6 tells us that the government will be on his shoulders. So don't be fooled today. The baby might not have the physical stature to carry such a great responsibility, but he is the most powerful person that has ever walked the planet Earth. What kind of government does Jesus have? Is it a democracy? Is it an oligarchy? Is it an, is it an autocracy? Well, friends, it's a theocracy. It's a theocracy where Jesus alone is king. It's not the people that have the shared kingship. It's not a group of elites that have the kingship. It's not one autocratic leader that has the kingship. It's Jesus who has kingship. It's God. It's a kingship that was inaugurated at his incarnation when he was born into the world. But we will fully understand it and fully realize it and the weight of it at the moment of his second coming. Verse 7 continues to flesh out this idea for us of the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. You see, this is not a government that rises and falls. It is an everlasting government with an everlasting peace. And as citizens of the kingdom of God, that's what we are. We not only enjoy this peace, but we perpetuate this peace in our relationships with other people. We must be united together, as Ephesians says, in the bond of peace. And though Satan will do everything he can to destroy the peace that we share and enjoy, we know that he will not prevail against us because Jesus was and Jesus is and Jesus will always be victorious because he's king. Verse 7 then offers additional characteristics to deepen our understanding of the nature of his reign. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. You see, Israel's history is one of systemic oppression by various groups of people. There are the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persian Medes, the Greeks, and the Romans. And Jesus was born into a world that was oppressed specifically by the Roman Empire. People had hoped that the Messiah would zealously overthrow the Romans by leading a revolt. That's the way you change things. That's the way you bring about justice in the world. But Jesus alternatively chose a more pacifist approach because he declared that his kingdom was not of this world. His kingdom did not demonstrate and showcase its power by mobilizing people into armed forces who would fight for him. Instead, his kingdom is one that demonstrates his power by establishing justice and righteousness in the land by raising a new standard. All earthly rulers and leaders, governments and systems are marred by the stain and the effects of sin. But what makes Jesus 
and his kingdom unlike any other is that he alone is just, that he alone is righteous, that he is perfect in his purity. He is without sin. And we cannot follow earthly kings and queens who build their kingdoms. We cannot become our own king or queen and build our own kingdoms. We must allow Jesus to be the king of our heart and we must build his kingdom. It is Jesus who can bring justice to our world and peace to our hearts. I know that many of you are wondering. You see the things that are happening in our world and you're struggling with what you see. Don't belittle your God. I want you to magnify God in the midst of this world. Make him so big over the situations that we're seeing. Make him bigger than the injustice. Make him bigger than the political discord that exists. Make Jesus bigger and bigger and bigger than everything you see. Magnify him in this time. Apostle Paul. Romans 14, verse 17, he explained, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Uh, That's what most kingdoms are all about, about eating and drinking, revelry, enjoying the goodness of being in such a great position. But the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the reality. Earthly kings were faulted for eating and drinking, not bringing much change to the system that is corrupt, but a heavenly king like Jesus is worthy of praise for he brought about a systemic, moral, and ethical change that raises the quality of life for those who are in his kingdom. And so we learn how to pray, and Pastor Sharon said it earlier in her prayer, the prayer in Matthew 6, verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. As we conclude this morning, as the worship team prepares, let me ask you today, how many people like the game chess? Are there any chess players in the congregation? I see a few hands. Oh, some very shy. I thought you'd be like, yeah, I'm smart. I'm intelligent. Well, It was until recently during this pandemic that I took interest in the game of chess. I always found it confusing how to know which piece moves and what way it moves. It's it's a confusing game. It's a game of intelligence in many ways. You have to strategize and make moves according to what other people are moving. And J. Oswald Saunders reported that years ago, a man named Paul Morphy was the world's champion chess player. And he was invited by a friend to look at a valuable painting. This painting was titled, Die, and forgive my German because it's not good, Die Schauspieler, The Chess Players, by the German painter Moritz Rich, 1888. And in the painting, Satan was represented as the chess player, and he was playing a young man, and the stake being the young man's soul. Look at the picture behind me. The game had reached the stage where it was the young man's move, but he was checkmated. And there was no move that he could make which would, which would not mean defeat for him. And so the strong feature of the picture was the look of utter despair on the young man's face as he realized in that moment that his soul was lost. 
Morphe, who knew more about chess than the artist, he studied the picture very carefully for a time. And then he called for a chessboard and its pieces, placing them in exactly the same position as they were in the painting. He said, ah, I'll take the young man's place. And he had discovered that the king had one more move that would set the young man free. See, perhaps you feel like your life is this chess game. You're feeling stuck. You feel like you have no more moves left. You are stuck where you are. And when Satan thought he had history and you checkmate, God sent his son Jesus unto us. He can restore your soul with peace. I don't know who needs to hear this this morning. Maybe you're here this morning in person. Maybe you're online with us today. But I am here to tell you that your story is not over. Your game is not finished yet. I want you to know that there is still one more move. Like the story, we need Jesus to be the king and to move on the chessboard of our lives in order to bring about a victory. So I know that it's difficult to see a victory in a day like this, in a pandemic like this, when things are not as they ought to be. But if you let Jesus be the king, if you let Jesus take control of your chessboard, your life, I promise you he will make a move that will liberate you so that you can enjoy and celebrate the peace of God that passes all understanding. There's a peace for you today. And I pray that it be yours through our Savior, the incarnate one, Jesus Christ, our King and our Lord. Let's pray.